This is the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast interview with Petra Kern and Dana Bolton. So imagine um, focus on early childhood music therapy and we disseminate evidence-based practices in reader-friendly terms to make its content accessible to everyone. So that's really what we want to do with this publication. And over the past 11 years, we have featured about 620 authors from over 50 countries in multimedia articles. And as I said, we have uh, over 80 podcasts, master classes, and we do conference presentations. Um, in this uh, Music Therapy Chronicle episode, we will highlight uh, this year's topic, which is Colors, uh, Colors of Us, Early Childhood Music Therapy Around the World. Dana? All right, so one of the great things about Imagine is, is that interactive style and how meet the needs of all different kinds of learners. So if you're a text-based learner, there's the written articles that you can read. There's infographics to present visual information. We have podcasts for auditory learners. Um, and then we have videos that combine both the visual and the auditory. So there really is something for everyone um, there. Like you said, there's um, some things are kind of presented in little chunks that are easy to listen to on the go or to just take a glance at. And then there's more in-depth information when you have more time to look at it. And one of the other things that I personally love is the limited focus on early childhood. Um, because our the music therapy profession is so broad and there's so many different populations that music therapists work with and the music therapy journals have to cover all of those populations. Plus then there's research about educating music therapy students or professional issues or historical research. And so for someone who, you know, probably 90% or more of my clinical practice was focused on early intervention and early childhood. Sometimes there was very little, if anything, in a music therapy journal that I could immediately apply to my clinical practice. And so for, um, with Imagine, for music therapists that work in early childhood, Imagine is just chock full of information that you can read or listen to or look at and take straight into a session um, and use these ideas or the music or the resources right away. Um, and I also like that with our kind of quick turnaround time for core issues, we can focus on um, the more contemporary topics or the more trending topics that are impacting current practice at the time. You're listening to the Music Therapy Chronicles, a podcast about music therapy from a variety of perspectives. Our ambition is to inspire and connect listeners through meaningful conversations, just like a music therapy conference you can listen to anywhere. My name is Trisha Coyote, and I am a board-certified music therapist from the New England region. If you like what you hear, join our group on Facebook and share your own insights and thoughts about the episodes. You can also connect with us on social media and online at Music Therapy Chronicles. Welcome back to the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast. Today's interview with Petra and Dana, who are the editor-in-chief and contributing editor to Imagine Magazine, respectively. We dive deep into Imagine, uh, how Imagine was created, and the resources that they are putting together, have put together in the past, are continuing to brainstorm, and they just have so, so much information they're putting out for 
uh, the rest of us to see, to learn from, to implement in our practices. And as we dive into this episode, they're doing that in as broad ways as they can, from opinions to research to visual components to um, auditory components and videos to put the two together, readings, and just lots of wonderful stuff on their website. So all the links to the things mentioned will be in the show notes so you can find them easily. And I highly recommend you check out the past topics that they mentioned. Uh, It's amazing how kind of, you know, the past, they kind of talk about what they did in the past few years and how that ties so heavily into everything that's going on right now. And yes, they are following the times and trying to produce content that is applicable to what's going on right now, but it all just builds on on itself, right? Um, and it's it's amazing to see how that works out sometimes, where you don't realize that the thing you created a year ago is going to become so important today. So definitely check out the links in the show notes. If you are enjoying the show, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. Those reviews really help the podcast be more visible so that other people trying to find this content can find it. You can also find us on social media at Music Therapy Chronicles, and please consider joining our group on Facebook. I'd love to be able to dive even deeper into these topics on there um, through Facebook conversations. So without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. Welcome to the Music Therapy Chronicles, Petra and Dana. Thank you for having us, Tusha. Of course. Hi. Thank you for, for making the time to be on the show. Um, to get us started, will you introduce yourselves a little bit and make sure you say your name so the guest can figure out whose voice is whose? Or I'm sorry, the listener can figure out whose voice is whose. You guys know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I'm Dr. Petra Kern, a board certified music therapist in the United States, Canada, and Germany. And for many years, I have worked with several clinical in several clinical settings with the youngest to the oldest with various variabilities and health issues. Yet over the years, I have uh, developed a passion for early childhood music therapy, which I would like to share with you, Trisha, and your listeners today. And through my company, Music Therapy Consulting, I am offering services to national foundations, institutes, and organizations who want to include music in their programs uh, to enhance uh, life of young children and their families. And I'm also dedicated to share evidence-based information and trends in music therapy through articles and chapters and books and through De La Vista Publisher. And that is the home of the early childhood music therapy online magazine, Imagine. And I'm the editor-in-chief of Imagine, and today I'm here with uh, Dana Bolton, the contributing editor, and we would like to talk about this publication. Dana? Hi, so I'm Dana Bolton, and I have, um, I've worked as a home visitor in early intervention, both as a music therapist and as a developmental therapist. Um, and so I worked ma- mainly with children birth to age three and their families. And my husband and I also owned our own private music therapy agency for a little while where I saw private clients and taught early childhood music classes. Um, and then now I'm a new stay-at-home homeschooling mommy to my five-year-old son. 
And I was first an author for Imagine in 2012, and then I joined the editorial team in 2014 and have been doing that ever since with Petra. Yes, and Trisha, you need to understand uh, Dana is an excellent writer, and that is why I invited her and the team invited her to come uh, become part of our uh, team, our editorial team, and she's really vital to every production each year we do. Awesome. Well, it has been my pleasure. <laughs> Great. So before we dive straight into Imagine, can you tell us how you guys found music therapy? What led you to music therapy as a profession? <laughs> Tina, do you want to start or should I stop? Uh, I, I can go ahead. Um, so growing up, I had always, actually always wanted to be a teacher. And when I was in high school, I saw Mr. Holland's opus, and that really inspired me to become a music teacher. And I remember going on a college visit um, and going to a, a session for music majors, and that was the first time that I heard music therapy being mentioned. And so I was like, well, that's kind of interesting, but no, I'm, you know, I'm going to be a music teacher. And that summer, um, it was a summer between my junior and senior year of high school, I had an opportunity to participate in a program here in Tennessee called the Governor's School for Prospective Teachers. And while I was there, I spent a week um, observing in a special education classroom um, at a special education center in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And I was in a classroom of um, teenagers and young adults with severe and profound disabilities. And one day, um, I remember one of the students was laying on the floor and was using a switch to play music on a tape player. And it was real calming music. And I noticed during that time that all of the students in the classroom were really quiet and calm. And I was just like, wow, I wonder if that's what music therapy is all about. And so I started doing some research into it. And I was like, wow, that's, you know, that's really cool. So I decided in music therapy and music education but um once i got into it i just fell in love with music therapy um and i ended up dropping the music education part of that degree um and just kind of went from there and um, life has kind of taken me in different twists and turns and i kind of ended up back in the education field um but you know my foundation as a music therapist has sort of influenced everything that i do with kids yeah yeah see trisha Dana was lucky that she grew up here in the United States where music therapy has been so developed and she learned about it and could get information. In my case, this was different because I grew up in Germany and the profession was not that far developed when I was looking into that profession. So it was really hard to find out what it is. <laughs> and when I started to study, you had to study uh, medicine, psychology or music and then on top of it as a postgraduate degree you could do music therapy and I was looking into different options there was actually one school the um, Heidelberg University uh, which is still there today which was a private university for music therapy yet in Germany all the education is for free so you can imagine that parents are hesitant to send you to private school, the only one, you know, where you can actually study music therapy. So I ended actually up to study first uh, medicine. So I went to med school until I figured out that there was a new um, degree program, which was social work or social pedagogy, which we call it in uh, Germany with an emphasis in music therapy. And then I switched to med school instead of going through all 
<laughs> the medical school to become a music therapist. I went then to the social work school in Brooksburg and with the emphasis on music therapy and uh, continued to study music therapy and got then um, certified in Germany. Uh, and then I moved to the United States and there it was totally different. Uh, I remember when I went first to the AMTA conference and I saw 800 or 1000 uh, colleagues, it was just like heaven. <laughs> I could not imagine that there are so many out there who are doing the same thing than I do. And um, then I uh, did my PhD at the uh, UNC in Chapel Hill with Dr. Mark Valery as a faculty advisor. And he is actually the connection point to Dana and myself because she also studied under him. He left UNC and went to Vanderbilt University and uh, that's where she then um, had the pleasure to study under him. And so you can also see that we have uh, similar writing styles mm. <laughs> or we think it's similar about evidence-based practice, certainly because we had the same mentor. While I also had a German mentor or British actually, Dr. David Aldrich in Germany at the School of Medicine, where I did my PhD combined with the United States. So for me, it was a different path. So young people like you, Tricia, and your listeners probably uh, have it easier those days to find the profession and also, you know, having a day of books and, and all kinds of things you uh, need to study music therapy. Also, it's more difficult because you have more knowledge to learn about mm. <laughs> and uh, living in really difficult um, situations right now, figuring out how to do that whole music therapy practice during a pandemic. So yeah, that's my story. <laughs> well, you you are uh, you're with Imagine, you're creating so many awesome um, COVID related resources for all of us, which is awesome. So let's let's dive into Imagine. Tell us all about what Imagine is, how you found it. All that good stuff. Yes, and Trisha, first we want to do something with you to give your <laughs> listeners an introduction into uh, right. Imagine. And we know that you like the rapid fire questions. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so we have prepared a couple for you around the topic of Imagine. Is your pulse going up? Because mine will go up when you do the rapid fire with us later on. <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay. I guess I'll see, okay. what, see what I can do. Let's fire at her. Dana, you start. All right, so how do you keep yourself up to date on music therapy topics? I read the peer-reviewed journals, I speak with colleagues, and I attend conferences. Mm -hmm. So which music therapy journals do you read? Oh, so Music Therapy Perspectives and the Journal of Music Therapy. Um, those are the two main, yeah. So we were hoping you were saying Imagine. Oh, I mean, Imagine. I'm sorry. Well <laughs> I'm, I'm failing, I'm failing. <laughs> Yeah, please continue. All right. Are you a text-based, visual, or auditory learner? Uh, visual. So now your chance. What do you like about the Imagine magazine? I will change it. I don't understand. What do you like about it? Oh, oh okay. So I like that there are – I like that you have um, cultural diversity in what you do. You, you really take cultural humility, and you're putting it out there for us to all learn from. Yes, and that was this so, year's topic. Thank you for bringing this up. Yes. Uh, but you also said, right, you said you're a visual learner. Yeah. Yes, and uh, Imagine is actually one of the music therapy publications where you can learn through visual means because besides the text, we have also, you know, uh, 
videos and images and so forth so that you can actually craft the content also by looking at things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what feature of the Imagine website is most helpful helpful for you? Uh, I like the podcasts because that's the easiest. I mean, that is not visual, but is within life, that's the easiest way to consume content because we're all so busy. Yes, that's why you do also your awesome podcast. And we have about now 80 podcasts on the Imagine website. So I hope people, your listeners know about that. Our next question, easy one for you is, <laughs> what are your favorite music therapy tools to use with young children? Ooh, uh, the gathering drum, the kibasa, and vocal improvisation. Okay. All right. So what's your favorite song to sing with young children? Vocal improvisation. <laughs> I love to just make it <laughs> make up it as up we as go. go. <laughs> yeah. And you're with the right population there because children like to improvise and making up songs and uh, singing about what they see in the environment all the time, right? Totally. So that's the improvisation part. So how do you make use of the Imagine 2020 information we shared? And you mentioned it's cultural responsiveness and so forth. Uh, well, in all honesty, I haven't been doing a ton of sessions since COVID-19, so I guess I'm going to cop out of that one. (laughs) (laughs) We can ask at the end of the podcast again, when we talk a little bit more about it. So maybe you have some ideas what you would do with it. Yes. What do you think are, what do you think are important trends in early childhood music therapy right now? Oh, can I sit with that one for a sec to make my thoughts concise? I guess with, with everything going on, uh, I'll, one of my classes, I'll put it this way, the, I was asking the teacher, you know, what more can I provide? What can I do to help you and the students through this time? And he said, honestly, right now we're just trying to get a schedule down. Like, it doesn't really matter how great what you're doing. We're just trying to get them used to a schedule while they're at home learning from home. So I guess that's probably not a broad trend. And at the same time, it is because of the pandemic is that we're really everyone is really trying to distill things down and adapt so much more than usual because we have to. Everything is so different right now. Yeah, you're right. And uh, that's what we actually want to end up the podcast probably with uh, talking about future trends and about telepractices and so forth, uh, what many of our clinicians are doing right now in the field. Uh, But I think routines are super important and having a schedule. And as we know, in early childhood, that's exactly how children also learn uh, with routines and with having a clear schedule, a prediction of what comes next and what is expected from them. So I think giving this structure through music and uh, our sessions or just being there on a weekly basis in some means can really help children to have a sense of security as well. What do you think, Dina? Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I mean, we're all living in very stressful, crazy times. And, you know, like I said, I have a five-year-old son. And so I know how crazy it is to try and, um, you know, I was working from home. Um, just I've been a stay-at-home mom for just a month now. Um, as far as a non-working stay-at-home mom, I guess. <laughs> um, I've been staying home for months now. Um, you know, but kind of trying to navigate that with him, you know, because he's a very social little boy and he misses his friends and um, trying to establish a routine, you know, to where, um, you know, we're kind of trying to stay on top of everything. And it's definitely a challenge. 
And Trisha, we have one more question for you. And you can also answer this at the end of this podcast when we talk a little bit more about matching. But we would like to know which other topics you would uh, like to learn from us about or what your listeners would be interested in. Oh, yeah. I mean, honestly, I wherever you guys would like to take us, anything you'd like to share, all information is, is good information, right? So whatever you feel called to share today, um, we'd all appreciate it. Oh, that's... thank you. Yeah. I don't <laughs> well, know if that's helpful. Thanks for giving us the platform for uh, disseminating information. Of course. Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, that was that was really stress-inducing, honestly. I'm not <laughs> used to that. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're not paying back to us. We just uh, thought we were taking your tool and to get into the topic. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So dive into it for us. Tell us all about Imagine. Okay. So Imagine... Um, focus on early childhood music therapy, and we disseminate evidence-based practices in reader-friendly terms to make its content accessible to everyone. So that's really what we want to do with this publication. And over the past 11 years, we have featured about 620 authors from over 50 countries in multimedia articles. And as I said, we have uh, over 80 podcasts, master classes, and we do conference presentations. Um, in this uh, Music Therapy Chronicle episode, we will highlight uh, this year's topic, which is Colors, uh, Colors of Us, Early Childhood Music Therapy Around the World. Dana? All right. So one of the great things about Imagine is, is that interactive style and how it meets the needs of all different kinds of learners. So if you're a text-based learner, there's the written articles that you can read. There's infographics to present visual information. We have podcasts for auditory learners. Um, and then we have videos that combine both the visual and the auditory. So there really is something for everyone um, there. Like you said, there's um, some things are kind of presented in little chunks that are easy to listen to on the go or to just take a glance at. And then there's more in-depth information when you have more time to look at it. And one of the other things that I personally love is the limited focus on early childhood um, because our, the music therapy profession is so broad and there are so many different populations that music therapists work with and the music therapy journals have to cover all of those populations. Mm. Plus then there's research about educating music therapy students or professional issues or historical research. And so for someone who, you know, probably 90% or more of my clinical practice was focused on early intervention and early childhood. Sometimes there was very little, if anything, in a music therapy journal that I could immediately apply to my clinical practice. And so for um, with Imagine, for music therapists that work in early childhood, Imagine is just chock full of information that you can read or listen to or look at and take straight into a session um, and use these ideas or the music or the resources right away. Um, and I also like that with our kind of quick turnaround time for, for issues, we can focus on um, the more contemporary topics or the more trending topics that are impacting current practice at the time. Mm. Yeah, that brings us actually to the next thing we would like to talk with you about, Tricia, are our topics. Uh, as uh, Dana said, so we can actually respond to current trends. Um, and one trend we, or let's say four topics, which I think there will continue to be trends in early childhood music therapy. We have previously addressed and then this year. So we talked about inclusion practice before. So a whole issue was just about that from experts and practitioners in the field, giving examples how they do inclusion practice. 
We also have an issue on family practices, so family-centered uh, uh, practice and family collaboration, which is more important than ever right now, I yeah. think, in the current times. Um, professional advocacy, it's an evergreen topic, I guess, <laughs> continuing to define what is music therapy in elevator speeches and so forth. But this topic really uh, was looking into who, how do we advocate to different uh, stakeholders? So how would you talk to a medical doctor versus um, a director of an early childhood center versus a specialist and so forth? And what are the informations they all need? And then I think a very contemporary topic, which we addressed already a couple of years ago, is technology and interactive media, which we all right now need with the telehealth practices. And you know, I see on Facebook, co-clinicians are talking about which microphone do you use, um, which um, apps are you using, and. Uh, what, what kind of music, how can we stream it and so forth? And what are we doing with little ones? Can they actually be on the screen for so long or is this a no-go? And so all those things we have addressed in this issue. Uh, so we look always, we always start from the point of research-based facts. We always first look into what's already out there. What do we know about that topic? And, and then we bring out the key components, the key concepts. We give always examples and then clinical uh, applications to practice. And one thing which is really important to us is also that things are short because if you look at the research, uh, uh, the attention span of readers and listeners, <laughs> Um, so we, we want to make sure that the information goes out there and also in uh, plain language so that everyone can, can understand it. So that's actually important to all our team members on the Imagine team. Um, so those four topics I just um, introduced, I actually did a music therapy online tutorial with Jacinda Calabro with, uh, from Australia, and that will come out next week. Dana, do you want to talk about the topics as well a little bit? Yeah, so just some little highlights from some of our issues. Um, the Family Center Practices issue was in 2014. And um, coming from someone who really works in early intervention, that was really timely because early intervention in general is shifting to being more focused on families' needs and parent coaching rather than direct therapy with children. Um, and so that year, I actually authored the featured article that was about musical development in young children. Um, and the idea was really to help music therapists create developmentally appropriate goals and expectations during therapy for children and that also that they could share with parents. And so as part of that article, I actually created videos that showed um, musical skill development in different areas across ages and also included children with disabilities in those videos. And I know that, um, they, that those videos have been used in music therapy classes um, and presentations and actually recently shared them with another local early interventionist that was looking for ideas to share with parents during a virtual lunch and learn. Um, and so all those videos are still on um, YouTube and the Imagine website. Um, and they were a lot of fun um, to create using clips that I took from my music classes and also from private um, sessions. And if I may I interrupt you, Dana, I think we actually need much more of those videos, kind of like a video glossary so that we can actually demonstrate how does practice look like, what does the musical mm -hmm. development in young children look like for our students and, you know, uh, incoming professionals, new professionals and so forth. Uh, 
and also when we're thinking about uh, music education right now, where our students probably cannot go to do practice, uh, their clinical practice or internship, but they can get hours for watching mm -hmm. videos of sessions. So I think Dana's um, contribution there is uh, very rich and helpful. Mm -hmm. um, so then in 2015, we focused on inclusion in a variety of settings, um, including those early childhood music classes, um, educational classrooms and community settings. And we really focused on how ideally suited music therapists are to create those inclusive environments and experiences for children of all ability levels. You know, it just ties in exactly to what we do. Um, you know, music is able, is accessible to everyone no matter what. Um, and so um, I did teach inclusive music classes and I found it really easy because they were already designed for multi-ages. So it was really easy then to include children with disabilities in those types of settings. Um, in 2016 was our advocacy issue, and I said it focused on what um, other groups like administrators, parents, students, or other professionals should know about music therapy in a variety of settings. Um, and in that issue, Pedro asked me to write something that we called Letter from a Child. So this is written from a child's perspective um, to their parent, explaining why a child might do certain things during a music therapy session. So things like mouthing instruments or being scared, you know, things that I saw kids do all the time in music class or in music therapy sessions. And, you know, parents would go to pull their in the instrument out of a child's mouth. I'm like, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine. And so kind of explaining that, you know, why that's important um, and why that's okay. Um, the style of that was actually based on social media updates that I made about my own son when he was an infant. <laughs> where I was writing um, as if he was giving the updates. Um, and that was actually inspired from the mom of one of my very first music therapy clients who um, this mom um, became her daughter's voice through mm. a blog that she wrote. And she always wrote in a very kind of um, funny and engaging style. So that was my inspiration. Yes, um, I'm a fan of Jack's development. So it's the son of <laughs> You'll hear from his voice how he's growing up and seeing the world around the Bolton household. <laughs> <laughs> and now he's five. So now I think our last update I, it actually really were his words, which is really fun. <laughs> Aww, I love that. Um, and so the, the technology issue in 2017, again, like Petra said, was so timely just because of the prevalence of technology in our society um, and the information that parents are bombarded with concerning using technology with young children and you know, kind of conflicting information about, is it good? Is it harmful? Um, and so we really focused on sharing how to use, you know, interactive technology, that interactive being the key word there, um, using that as a tool to enhance development while also guiding parents and professionals on how to raise good digital citizens, because that's mm -hmm. going to be a really important skill for children growing up right now. Yeah. Yes, and Tricia, I think we cannot uh, reiterate more that use of technology, the importance is the engagement and the interaction. So it's not good just to have the child sit at the computer it, or at the screen of an iPad or another device. It is about the interaction of the content and the interaction with the therapist, with the parent of adults and who facilitates the learning moment here. So that is the key to technology what we learned when we put the issue together. Right, Dana? Yes, exactly. Yeah, I can, I can relate to that. I have a client who um, I wasn't working with via telehealth, but recently mom decided it was a good idea to try. And she 
All she wants to do is stare at me. She doesn't want to interact across the computer. She doesn't want to talk. She doesn't want to sing. And it's like she's just gotten to that point where that's the routine now, you know? So you're so right. You're so right. Figuring out the tools and the, the ways to keep them engaged so that the technology mm -hmm. is being used in an effective way. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and I think, you know, it's an adjustment for us as well, looking at you right now that you're recording this first here uh, with visual, uh, where we look at uh, more communication interaction from you, you know, I see you're nodding your head. So that's a little bit more information from you that you want me to continue to talk or whatever, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so I think for children, they first have to learn this new means, um, how you actually interact through it and, you know, bringing in their names, for instance, when you, when you uh, do a telehealth practice or bringing a favorite uh, puppet or something where they feel um, connected with and want to talk with might be a key component in facilitating that interaction and that engagement of the child. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, totally. Yeah. Do you want us to talk about Imagine 2020? Yeah, dive into it for us. Ah, okay. So this year we actually did the second time an iBook with 373 pages uh, featuring over 80 authors again from 41 countries. So that's why it's early childhood music therapy worldwide. And uh, the readers can you explore a wealth of information about cultural responsiveness, as you mentioned, Tricia, but also diverse language learners and trauma-informed care for displaced children, as in refugee children. And then we have also 41, yes, 41 country reports. Um, so I think this is probably the most comprehensive uh, interactive publication in early childhood music therapy around the world, which we have done so far, um, collecting all that information from our colleagues around the world. But it was probably also the hardest and most challenging publication to put together during a global pandemic. Mm. <laughs> so when we started actually discussing this topic, there was no COVID-19. And we had all our authors together and everyone was uh, engaged and wanted to be part of it. Now, when the global crisis here started, uh, you know, I learned from the authors about their struggles, their concerns, their health issues, um, not being able to have access to the children, uh, release forms, uh, being able to record or even go to the to the office to find some documents and so forth so it was really pieced together this year and i was um, in the middle of it talking with dana and all the other team members can we do it i don't know <laughs> but uh surprisingly everyone came around wow. everyone came around and that makes me really appreciate our worldwide music therapy community demonstrating their dedication and resilience and all the craze they had uh, during this crisis and the demands uh, we're still all facing right now. So Dana, do you want to talk a little bit more about the content of the lead articles? Uh, yeah, so we had three um, lead interviews and I really think that um, you know, that our topic this year was really timely in today's society, you know, of just um, understanding, you know, what we know about um, trauma that displaced children have experienced and the importance of trauma-informed care um, for anyone who works with these children. And so the first interview was with Emma Martin and Olivia Swedberg-Nieger, 
and they gave some really practical ideas for how music therapists can use trauma-informed care in their own practice. Um, and, you know, in addition to, um, you know, we've been having lots of conversations recently regarding immigration and diversity. And so I think it's really important for music therapists to examine their own cultural influences and biases and become more globally minded as they're working with diverse children. Um, so then Sarah Akar gave an interview on cultural linguistic diversity that describes the really positive impact of being a dual language learner on children's development, but also the challenges for professionals to keep in mind. Um, and then I also did where I, um, I drew on, on 17 years that I worked in early intervention um, with families from almost 30 different countries and just shared what I've learned about cultural responsiveness and how to establish positive relationships with diverse families. Yes, and a fun, fun fact, Trisha, from Dana's um, article, which I like, I'm a foodie. <laughs> and she, she talks about when she comes to those family homes and is um, uh, invited to eat African food and all kinds of things. Or I remember you wrote in your article or in your interview, you, you talked about um, that one of those families, you never go without a gift. And, you know, in our American culture, you're not allowed to actually accept gifts as a service provider. But, you know, in that culture and the value of the family, they just want to thank you and they gave you something home and you just started to accept it uh, to be culture responsive, right? Yeah, yeah, really. My my husband always knew when I had seen my Egyptian families because I would come home with a bag full of bottled water and Coke and juice and all that because they would always, you know, They'd always give them to me, and if I forgot them, they would chase me out. They would chase me to my car. Oh wow! <laughs> see me before I left. <laughs> beautiful. I think that's beautiful. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yes, and in our eleven uh, clinical podcast, Trisha, Trisha. So we're doing them all at once, not like you on a weekly or monthly basis. So we do this once a year, and. Um, what we want to have in the podcast is more in their voice, in our author's voice. So they are spoken in the first language and uh, about their opinions versus our uh, text-based and other um, publications are more research-based. But here in the podcast, we allow opinions and experiences of our authors and so forth. And uh, you can imagine for this topic, we had a rich variety mm -hmm. of opinions and what we well so in terms of topic it was about traditions and children's songs around the world and scales and instruments which are so different if you work with different populations uh, around the world and um, what we all found in in all the podcasts was cultural humility mm -hmm. uh, that was really the relevance and the tenure of all podcasts uh, reflecting the work with young children and their families uh, from different heritages. Um, the podcasts were also about various settings where the clinicians work and then about the client's really challenging life path. Uh, one example is from Karen Wax uh, with her colleague from Uganda Summit Mulondo. Uh, Karen Wax is a professor at Berkeley College of Music and they had a project going with former children soldiers in Uganda. So you see this challenging life path here. Um, and that project, which he started with uh, Summit, 
actually led into telemusic therapy, learning opportunities for Berkeley students back in 2013. So they were one of the first ones already doing this. And one of the graduates, now an alumni, Kara Smith, she also did a podcast and she actually started a nonprofit organization, Mocha Global Community Music Therapy. And uh, that works uh, with people in underserved uh, communities in Africa uh, on cultural responsive music therapy services and uh, sustainability and so forth. And uh, Kara, she is right now in Pretoria in South Africa and getting her master degree. And she was also part of the 2020 World Congress of Music Therapy organization team. And that was also a reason why we actually brought that topic uh, to life in 2020 because of the World Congress of Music Therapy uh, and featuring Africa. So that's why we have also those two podcasts and feature them on our website to uh, make people aware about music therapy within children around the world, world and also their different life circumstances. Mm -hmm. So. Um. To me, one of the most meaningful podcasts was Alexis Ruffner's podcast on supporting multiculturalism in the NICU. Um, here in Tennessee, prematurity is an automatic eligibility for services um, in early intervention. And so I've worked with lots of families who've spent time in the NICU, um, either due to prematurity or other health conditions. I've also had a lot of friends who've experienced it with their children. Um, I have a friend who just brought her daughter home um, after 62 days in the NICU, I think wow. um, she's just been home for a few days. Um, and so I've heard their stories about how stressful and scary that situation is. And then also, um, you know, with the diverse families that I worked with, seeing how those factors like cultural linguistic differences or poverty and even parental disability, um, when those are added into the mix, how even more difficult that becomes. And so um, in her podcast, she really talked about being intentional as a music therapist and how to support these families um, in ways that um, celebrate their home culture, incorporate their native languages, and really helping to make a positive difference for these families and making a really scary situation a little bit better. Um, and so I really, I really liked that podcast. Yes, and that's the beauty to be on the editorial board here, right, Dana? We learn about all those different practices from our clinicians, mm -hmm. and um, this way also stay up to date with the trends and what's going on in the world. And I hope we help with Imagine to bring this uh, to life and to our music therapy communities so that we all can learn from each other and implement this in our practices and be aware of it in those mm -hmm. things. Yeah. And that brings me, Trisha, to our next one, which was the biggest part of Imagine 2020, the country reports. And what we did here, we started it out with an infographic uh, about uh, just data numbers uh, about the country, how big is actually the country, how many music therapists are working there in terms of the population ratio, how many children are there actually, and how many do then practice music therapy in that country with young children versus other population population and so forth. So those infographics we also made available on the website for free on the Imagine website so we can access them. And then the next part was a society statement. So how are actually children seen in that culture? Um, are they valued? Are they little adults or are they taken serious or are they being taken care of? So what's the status of it? What is the inclusion status? 
just uh, foundational knowledge one needs to know when working with families from different heritages, or even if you one day travel again, hopefully, <laughs> or even uh, work abroad. Okay, so then we also talk about laws and policies, which then influence how we practice music therapy, right? I mean, so much in our country here in the United States is based on the policies and the laws, how we can practice or where we can provide services and how we provide services. And then the therapeutic process of referral assessment, intervention, evaluation, and termination, and a clinical example, future trends, and a wealth of resources um, of literature, but also organizational websites and where you can find a music therapist. So I think it really encompasses, um, gives a nice introduction of a summary of uh, what music therapy looks like with young children and their families in each of those countries. And I think what struck me most, and it was kind of reconfirming a study I did with Dr. Daniel Tech uh, about the clinical practices around the world is that we are not so different in our therapeutic process. Mm. We really are engaging the same way through that uh, referral process, the um, assessment and then intervention planning, individual session, group sessions, working with the families and so forth, bringing them into the therapy and then the evaluation termination process. So there were actually more similarities than differences around the world. Uh, and I think that was a real nice thing to see reconfirmed from those country reports. Dina? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that, re that really intrigued me too, of seeing all those similarities, but also reading about the wide variations in those societal attitudes and the supports that are available for individuals with disabilities around the world. And I know, you know, here in the US, you know, our system is far from perfect, but, you know, compared to other countries, you know, there really are so many supports and services available um, and so I really, you know, one of my hopes with this information is that, you know, in countries where these supports are still being developed, that music therapists or other readers can learn what's happening in other countries and use that to inspire their own advocacy efforts, you know, that they can see what's possible or what's happening in other countries and say, hey, you know, well, we need, we need that here. Um, and, um, and it's also a way to kind of connect, um, you know, the music, a music therapist can see that and and maybe reach out to a music therapist that wrote one of these other reports and say, how did, you know, what does this look like in your country or how can I support that as a music therapist? Um, I also had a lot of fun um, finding videos online for the song list to hear those children's songs from around the world. Um, I was doing a lot of trying to translate song titles <laughs> so that there would be an English title in there. Um, and so I was using, you know, looking up a lot of these on YouTube or on the internet. Um, and it was just really fun to, See some of the topic, you know, some of the topics that these songs are about, or to hear children singing these songs, you know, in their native languages. Um, and I think that alone is an amazing resource for music therapists that are working with immigrant or refugee children and families, because knowing just a few songs in their language can um, can really help build some rapport when they see that you've taken the time to learn something that's outside of your comfort zone, um, you know, to share with them. That's really meaningful for families. Yeah, and Trisha, Dana, she was really good at this. <laughs> you know, with some of the song, song titles that came in Japanese or in Chinese or <laughs> uh, 
uh, <laughs> in Arabic languages and uh, we could not even read them. And um, I think Google Translate was the best friend. And most <laughs> of the times we hit the right title, but the feeding them back to the author somewhere just totally off. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, that that was um, great work Dana did here with, with finding all the titles. And so yeah, in that resource section, we had from each country, five traditional children's songs and five contemporary children's songs so that you have 10 songs ready if you work with a family from that heritage or will work in that country mm-hmm. also for so it's a good start to mm-hmm. uh, get your repertoire for that heritage it was also funny to see in those contemporary songs that there's some songs like baby shark and let it go that <laughs> seem to be pretty universal <laughs> Because those showed up on a lot of the lists. You can't get away from them. They're everywhere. No. That's right. And they don't even sound different. Goodness. Baby Shark was a, a song I used to sing at nature camp when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. It was a little different, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Prevalent. Yeah, but I sung it at camp too when I was little. <laughs> That's so interesting. But you see how that world becomes more global. And mm. uh, when we think... You need to have that indigenous instrument or scale and so forth. There are also very contemporary things which go just around the world and uh, connect us all through music. You know, mm-hmm. and I think that is also which brings us to the next uh, topic we want to talk about is the COVID nineteen resources. Again, here we are a global community. We're all together in in that, uh, which is certainly not a place we want to be. But, you know, I think we can only do this together. And that's why we thought, how can we support early on? I think it was already in this second week, right, Dana? It, mm-hmm. When we all had to stay at home that we were thinking, how can we help the families and support them now that they have all the children at home and uh, probably need to something to do, something meaningful to do. And so we decided to do an early release of the 2020 Imagine Favorites on our Facebook page, which is at ECMT4U. And the favorite resources that feature music and uh, instruments, you can use props, uh, apps, and books, and movies, and videos. And they're all suggested by music therapists and students for parents of children ages 0 to 5. And uh, all of them have been used in clinical practice in some way before. And so uh, we have on the website actually uh, quite extensive now a resource page where people can find all those uh, different things. Also, your favorite instrument is on there, Trisha. (laughs) Uh, And so that was the first thing we did. And you can still find them on our website, which we feature uh, where we feature them. And then we did also um, music interaction cards. Uh, from our parents can series, which we had in previous issues uh, where companies, music therapy companies uh, gave suggestions how you can interact with your children musically. And we just put them together in a news, um, in a nice uh, interactive card format and then uh, posted them on the website, which uh, you can still find. And now I'm actually waiting for one more resource over the summer. And that is coming from Dana in Czech. They will do a summary edition. Do you want to talk about this, Dana? <laughs> yeah. So my son, Jack, is almost six. 
And um, I joke that he went to music class before he was even born um, because I was teaching music together while I was pregnant um, and taught it up until he was a toddler and he was in every class. Um, and he was he could he was singing before he could even talk. Um, so he's uh, you know, he has two musician parents, so he came by it naturally. Um, but he loves playing all different kinds of instruments, but also he loves to make videos of himself because um, he likes to watch videos on YouTube. So this week, um, we're going to film some short little musical playdates where he's going to demonstrate to kids how to play some of his favorite instruments. Um, and then when I can, I'm also going to show parents how they can use uh, household items in place of instruments that they don't have. Because I know some of these things that um, that we have here for my music therapy practice, most parents aren't going to have, but how they could um, make something at home or use something at home to make music with their child. I love that. So here we can ask Trisha again our rapid uh, question. <laughs> what would you like to see from Jack? <laughs> oh, honestly, I think just having a resource where he teaches the kids how to play the instrument is awesome because obviously I could do that, but it's not as exciting for me. Um, let's see. And you said he's a social kid, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> All right. All right. I'm trying to think. I'm like trying to be creative on the spot. Um, maybe if he, he could challenge the viewers of the video to make it a social thing. So like, oh, you have this instrument or you made an instrument, like do a call and response with mom or, you know, in, in a kid way, have him, um, encourage the viewer of the video to take their music and share it with someone. Ah, yeah, so make it uh, interactive here again, as yeah. we uh -huh. said for the uh, technology interactive media. So they could post it back and say, this is what we did from the, with the idea from Jack, right? Mm -hmm. oh, I like that. That's great. And so, you know, in terms of future topics, what we were thinking, and um, we also want to hear from you, Trisha, what you think about this. This is in discussion stage. We have not finalized the topic for next year, but we were thinking of early childhood music therapy telepractices, mm. knowledge, experiences, and values. So the three path of knowledge of evidence-based practice. Uh, we want to hear from researchers what they found out, the knowledge, from practitioners what they tried out last year, and then from families how they liked it and uh, what the value was for them to use it in their homes. What do you think? I love that um, because I think regardless of what happens with COVID and everything, telehealth practices allow music therapy to be accessible to so many more people. Because uh, I, I live in a pretty rural state and I've been offered contracts that are, they're just too far. I can't get there and get back um, and, you know, do whatever I need to do. But with telehealth, I've been able to see the same client twice a week now because I'm just not driving. Uh, so I think that's awesome. Uh, that's and I like the three the three points you nailed down there. That's a great way to frame it to make sure you're covering all the bases and creating a holistic resource about this this telehealth thing that we're all rapidly learning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah so, we are, kinda... so we are collecting right now, right, Dana? And uh -huh. uh, you know, and so this is actually a shout out probably to all the clinicians, researchers, and families who want to be part of Imagine 2021. 
you know, our issue is always only as good as what we get from the authors or for the people who submit things to us. So we only can make something big for our community if we get a lot of good materials. Um, so this is really a community project, right, Dana? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and Trisha, you kind of took the words right out of my mouth of that. You know, I think that um, that telepractice is going to continue being a viable service delivery option, you know, not just for music therapy, but for all kinds of therapies. Because um, I know in the early intervention field, that's something that is being talked about right now. Um, and so it's going to be interesting to see what we do learn over this next year um, and how we can refine our skills to better serve children and families. Um, and like you said, to meet those needs of families that live in rural areas or other areas that are being underserved by music therapy and other service providers. Yeah. Thank you. Thank yeah, you for spearheading think, Trisha, that. I know that we are coming always to the hour. <laughs> oh, you're good. So, um, I think you know, the lesson we have all learned during COVID-19, during this pandemic, is that we need to rethink safe practice. Mm. What does this really mean in early childhood? Uh, you know, I had uh, sleepless nights over that. Telehealth practice, yes. Uh, we need to, for sure, uh, get better at it and witty. And, uh, but, you know, how are we, we going to do this in place again in a preschool where children want to and toddlers want to crawl into a lab and touch your guitar and 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 hug you and you want to do you know mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's not going to be possible so we will need to be really creative and rethinking safe practices how we can do this uh, and it's not only us with the singing because i think every early childhood educator sings with their children in a preschool setting as well so it's all of us so how are we going to bring this back to the children uh in uh real lifetime but also then in in the telehealth practices how can we make them more engaging as you say trisha and you know getting them from the screen to interact with you and jumping into your face there yeah. <laughs> uh, and i think we have good uh, examples from our clinicians there are many out there who who are really getting very good at this um, so we want to learn from them next year in our imagine issue but I think also we need to be very innovative in moving forward and, and probably see this as a chance to leap forward in our profession and actually catch up with technology, with uh, innovative practices, which many other people do in other industries already. And maybe we can be even you know, more creative. That's in our DNAs, I want to say, as music therapists. I think the most important thing is for all of us, for all of us, is to be flexible uh, with everything we do right now and uh, not being too hard on ourselves if things are not continuing on a timeline and the way it has been before. Mm -hmm. I think flexibility is the key right now to survive. <laughs> um, and I think what we all learned that is empathy, uh, empathy and compassion and music is what connects us all and uh, will bring us through that difficult time, I think. Well said. Yeah, I think our, our latest issue, you know, really kind of reminds us of how we really are more similar than we are different. And remembering that we are all in this together, you know, everybody around the world is in this together right now. And that hopefully, um, if we remember that and keep that in mind, then we can come out the other side of this, you know, being stronger and more united. Well said. So do you have any other questions for us, Tricia? Uh, unless you want to touch on anything, then we'll go into our rapid fire. 
But you you guys get to cheat because I ask the same rapid fire questions on every episode. So you could have like studied up and you got your answers ready. Is that right? Yeah. Know that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, with the way you guys prepared for everything, I figured they've listened to like five episodes. They have their answers to the rapid fire questions. Like they're ready. <laughs> I actually didn't. I, I actually did listen to uh, the latest uh, work, uh, the latest podcast, which was very nice uh, about uh, the preparation for the CBMT exam. It was also interesting to listen to this, Trisha, because I'm on the board right now of uh-huh. CBMT. Yes, yes, I did see that. <laughs> so that was interesting to hear about the content, how uh, clinicians take that and train other uh people, other music therapists who want to sit for the exam and being successful. So it was very interesting to see that first, uh, listen about this perspective. Yeah, yeah, I bet. Um, I'd be interested to hear your feedback on that as well. (laughs) She was was very clear, like, I'm not endorsed by CVMT, but this is what I do and this is what's working. Like, that's fine. That's what, that's all we need, right? Yeah. Awesome. All right. Anything you want to add before we move into rapid fire? Maybe yeah. just uh, you can find uh, Imagine on uh, www.imagine.musictherapy.biz. And as I think Trisha will have the resources on the website, and we gave all, her also a couple of other resources your listeners can um, look up and find more in depth information. Yes, thank you. And I've been thank rapidly writing down resources. Yeah, I've been writing down all the all the notes or taking notes on all the resources you mentioned too, so I can hopefully have them oh, all. Okay. You sent Good. me the links and we'll get it. They'll all be in the show notes for the listeners. They can find all the things. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. All right, ready? Sure. Coffee or I wish tea? I would have studied your questions now. <laughs> it's easy. It's all about you. It's a question about yourself, and you are the best okay. expert on yourself. All right. I pass it on to Dana. She's my backup. <laughs> The first one's a warm-up. You got this one. Ready? Okay. Coffee or tea? Is it me now first and then Dana? All right. Sure. Okay. Coffee in the morning, tea in the afternoon. And see, for me, it's neither. I don't like either one. (laughs) Perfect. Early bird or night owl? Definitely an early bird. I'm going out running and biking and swimming around 6.30, and I like to go to bed early. And I am the total opposite. I'm a total night owl, and I'm sending Petra revisions at like 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. But most of the time, this works because I'm living on the West Coast, so I need to be an early bird because by the time I get up, um, people are already having... Uh, lunchtime and doing other things around the world, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Works out nicely. Something you would tell your younger self. Oh, Dana, you go first. I have to think. Oh, my gosh. Um, I think uh, I think it is to just not... Um, don't make plans. <laughs> because I don't think any plan that I've had for myself has worked out the way that I anticipated that it would but i think everything has worked out better than i could have ever imagined Hmm. well said 
Yes, maybe similar. I wouldn't say don't make plans. I would say uh, have a clear intention and trust mm -hmm. that it will happen because it always it always will happen if you are going for it. And there are different ways and different paths. And often it's a different timeline than you intend. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but if if you have that vision and you see yourself doing this, it will happen. You can trust that. Mm. Good one. Your music therapy elevator speech. <laughs> Why well, so people like that? Because I really make them do an elevator speech in the elevator. So we write the elevator up and down. And when the door opens, they have to do it. And when the door opens, you know, opens again, they have to be finished. Um, okay, so my elevator speech is uh, music therapy is the intentional use of music to achieve non-music goals in a therapeutic relationship with a variety of clients with different abilities and health issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mine would be just very similar of, you know, that music therapy works on non-musical goals to meet the needs, you know, whatever needs a client has. Um, in a way that is, um, particularly when applied to children, is, is more fun and more engaging than some of the other therapeutic modalities that they may be involved with. That's plagiarism, Dana. <laughs> <laughs> I've been using that since before I met you. <laughs> no, I'm glad you're on the same page here. <laughs> Very in sync. You're in sync. Which obviously is working for you if you're both editing and <laughs> writing and doing all these things. Yeah, well, we know each other for a long time now, so you know, we are in sync. <laughs> Your favorite self-care practice? Hmm. Running, biking, swimming, gardening, reading German novels. I'm not adding music to it, which is also recreational for me, but... You know, I also practice, and so it's work. Mm. <laughs> it's part of my work. So for recreational things, I like to do more uh, physical things because I'm often sitting at the computer. Mm -hmm. uh, and right now, during the pandemic, my garden looks gorgeous. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so I had a lot of time to do a lot of gardening. Yeah, I think for me... Um is you know spending time with my son um and reading you know and just kind of being with friends and family um my little splurge that i haven't been able to do yet during the pandemic is getting a massage once a month um you know just partly for physical you know just like for my back um but it also is just really nice to just lay there and quiet for an hour and, <laughs> and just be able to relax yeah for sure. Also physical, but a different physical. Recovery yes. is also important. Yes. <laughs> Something that is currently adding value to your life. For me, it is conversation with colleagues like you, Trisha and oh, Dana. Um, I actually made an effort during COVID-19 stay at home phase, that phase to uh, call a colleague a day. Oh, good. Yes. And those are those are the conversations which are very meaningful uh, to me. 
during this time. And it's also interesting to have those one-on-one -on -one with uh, colleagues you usually see during conferences in the hallway and you have a coffee together or a dinner, or you just say hello, hello but really calling them one-on-one -on -one and asking them how they're doing and uh, how they're coping with the situation, what they think about the political climate, about uh, self-care, uh, how, how to practice right now. That's very meaningful to me brings value to my life and to my daily life right now. Um, I think for me is um, COVID-19 actually gave me, actually provided me the opportunity to stay at home with my son. Um, it was something that he's starting kindergarten this year and, and I've always wanted to homeschool him. And so that was kind of in our long range plan, but we weren't sure if it was gonna happen or not. But um, I found an opportunity that I couldn't pass up. And so, um, for me, just being able to spend um, spend my time with him, you know, I tell him all the time that the only thing that's been consistent that I've wanted to be my whole life is a mom. Aww. And um, what I've really what I really realized, I think, is that you know I love my work with young children. I absolutely love it, and I love working with families. But because of my personality, I'm not the person who does the bare minimum, you know. And so I'm going over and beyond for my families and. But I think what was happening was then I had, I didn't, I was expending so much emotional energy and mental energy in my work that I didn't have enough leftover to be the kind of mom that I wanted to be. And so um, being able now to be home with him and um, like actually just cleaning and organizing house, <laughs> you know, and just, um, you know, creating a homeschool space for him and, um, you know, and just really looking forward to the memories that we're going to make together. That was beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Welcome. Your favorite song or intervention to use in a session? In a session? Hmm. Well, song and intervention. So we actually have a series in Imagine called Intervention Ideas, and those are all original songs of our music therapists music therapy students and uh, the songs become an intervention for something specific and one I really like well it's actually by Michael Detmer myself from our intergenerational study is a hello song and uh, what I like about that hello song is uh, um, is um, to find ways to say hello and I think <laughs> right now it is more important than ever to rethink how do we say hello. So when we recorded it uh, probably uh, two years ago, it was all about high fives, giving hugs, and um, all those physical touches, uh, which we wanted to teach the children. Now we kind of need to find other ways to do that. And that is what that song is all about. Uh, so how do we say hello? 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 That was actually not the lyrics. It's uh, hello, hello, my friend. Hello, hello, my friend. Hello, hello, my friend. How do we say hello? And then we could now probably we bow our heads, say, or we say namaste, or oh yeah, like the how do you say that? Wave, shake your hands. Wave your hands, yeah. Uh, she, she shakes her hands. You you can't see this, listeners. Oh yeah, that's true. There's <laughs> yeah, other ways, you know. Um, so I like that because it teaches now children how to greet each other 
in, in, in a different way in this situation. And maybe we could also think about something funny for telepractices. How do we say hello? Mm -hmm. Maybe that could be uh, move. No? <laughs> yeah. So one of my favorites, I actually learned this from a music therapist that I worked with at my first job. Um, in my first week there, I was um, shadowing each other therapist for a day, and I got this from one of them. Um, but I was actually taking a tambourine that has a head on it and got the one, I think it's the Remo one, that's like the prismatic one, so it's like really shiny and pretty, um, and getting koosh balls. And I would always do with about five koosh balls and put them in the head of the tambourine, and then we would sing some like up and down songs. Um, where we would sort of go up, 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 and and then prompting the child to stay down or to sign down, and then I would dump them out. Um, and if they would let me do it, I would dump them on their head, you know, which they would think was really funny. Um, and it just because it incorporated so many things that there was the verbal component of getting them to stay or sign down. Um, there was the sensory component with the koosh balls, and so um, it was really fun to see some kids, um, especially some kids. Um, on the autism spectrum who were really tactile sensitive and they maybe didn't like touching the koosh balls at first, but we would just slowly work towards kind of desensitizing them to that and then it would become their favorite activity. Um, we could count the ball, you know, count the koosh balls as we were putting them back in. Um, and then there was that social component too of, you know, sometimes if a child couldn't say the word or do the sign, I might just do it with eye contact, you know, mm -hmm. that they could just make eye contact with me. Um, or reach for it or something. So it just, it was one activity that hit on lots of different goal areas for kids. And um, every kid either loved it or would love it eventually. <laughs> yeah, that's one of those ones that it seems so simple, but it's so effective. Mm -hmm. I love those. All right, and lastly, I will make sure to link all the things you mentioned, but where can the listeners find you and find Imagine uh, and connect with you? So you can find Imagine at www.imagine.musictherapy.biz and you can find myself, Petra Kern, uh, at www.musictherapy.biz. So that's my music therapy consulting business. Um, right now you can just find me. Um, I have a personal Facebook page, um, just Dana Bolton. And then also the um, our early childhood music therapy network page, Facebook page. You can find both of us there as well. Right. Awesome. I will make sure to link all of that in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for making the time to be on the show and for telling us all about Imagine. Um, uh, the the work that you have put in to create so many different types of resources for the different types of learners and opinions versus research and covering so many topics topics is very admirable. Uh, so thank you for giving that back to our profession so we can all continue to be better at what we love doing. Thank you, Tricia. So if you and all the other listeners find our resources helpful, it makes it worth our time to put it together. Right, Dina? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, we just have this. We just want this information to be shared. Appreciate yes. it. Well, thank you for having us on your podcast and giving us the opportunity to share this information with you. Of course. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your day.
you as well. Bye bye. You too. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I hope you learned a lot from Petra and Dana and are feeling inspired to check out their resources because I'm sure if you're working with early childhood population, then they have 10, 20, 30 resources to help you handle whatever dilemma you're currently facing. They were also nice enough to share with us a free download of their ABC song mashup from this year's Imagine publication and that includes the voices of children from 11 different countries so I'll play a clip of that at the end of this episode and check out the show notes to download that for yourself. Please, again, consider leaving us a review on iTunes. I'd love to read some more reviews on the other sides of episodes. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. I am posting polls and questions and um, other feedback type things on social media. So please follow us there so that I can hear what you have to say. Also, please remember that the episode feedback survey is now always in the show notes and you're welcome to leave whatever feedback you have there as well. One of the easiest ways to support the show though is to subscribe so that the show is immediately downloaded to your playing device, probably your phone, each week. Um, It's free to do and I always forget to say it. (laughs) So if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. Uh, It really, really helps a lot. And finally, if you or someone you know is interested in being on the show, please send an email to feedback at musictherapychronicles.com. That email will go directly to me and we'll get you a slot on the show. Oh, and if you'd like to support the podcast by becoming a patron, um, in doing so, you can ask guest questions when you become a patron and the Patreon link is always in the show notes. Our quote today comes from Marsha Humphal, who is the Imagine copy editor. Music therapy can support all other therapies within all theoretical models. We have a unique set of skills and a unique tool, our music. Using both can make a difference in the lives of those we serve. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Yeah. <laughs>